Help, I got a Mac podcast episode number 60. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Help, I Got a Mac. My name's Cliff Ravenscraft. And my name's Chris Biting. We're here to discuss with you once again all that is Apple, or at least some of that is Apple. Yeah. I guess. Right? We're, yeah, we're, and we're officially in our golden years now that we've reached 60. That's right. We have reached the AARP of podcasting. Exactly. Now we get our discount at the Golden Corral. There we go. So, Chris Biting, how are you doing this week? I am I'm fabulous, man. How are you? I'm doing excellent. I just want to say thank you for coming out and participating in the gspn.tv community season 5 premiere party of Lost. I had no I I was personally lost on what was going on during the show, but I had a great time and I got to see a bunch of people and put the faces to names and you know, you can only you, you only see so much in that little Twitter avatar so it's always nice it's always nice to meet people in real space yeah just so folks know who are listening to the help i got a mac show and maybe don't listen to some of our other shows specifically the lost podcast that we do uh chef mark tafoya who who has been in the help i got a mac uh uh, chat room and has even been on the show several times Mm -hmm. Uh, you got to meet him as well as allison from columbus and and andrea who is obviously a big part of uh the the community is from uh, Florida, and she's getting med- ready to move to New York City. Just lots of great people. Wow. Kim from came from Chicago, so plus all the folks here locally that are into Lost and, and GSPN as well. Yeah, it was cool, man. I had a good time. I had good food and good tasty beverages, and I, I think I, I think I jailbroke a phone while I was there. I think you did. Uh, our, <laughs> you got at, yeah, you got to meet Tommy T-shirt, uh, Tommy Klein from. Klein printing here in in the northern Kentucky area as well. Was that the first time you got to meet him, or had you meet, met him before? No, uh, Klein Printing does all of the sharethis.com uh, uh, materials, all of our stickers and T-shirts. Oh, that's right. So you had met him then. Oh yeah, I, very very cool. Yeah, I showed him the light. Joe broke his phone. He's loving it. Listen to that. See, you re, we could rewind the tape here just a little bit, and it, it, it wasn't like four weeks ago. You said, "Listen, I'm never going to break. I'm not going to jailbreak this one." And I'm sitting there saying, "Dude, yeah, you you will. I know I you did. will." And, and you know what's cool is that not only did I do it, it came in really handy this weekend. I was I was out somewhere where I had really really bad internet service, so I hurried up and downloaded the program called PDA Net, which is only available for jailbroken phones. And it allowed me to tether my laptop and the the 3G connection, you know, of completely violating ATT's uh, EULA. But whatever worked great. I was getting 1.8 megs down, which I thought was extremely awesome, and uh, it worked really good. I, it's not something I would rely on all the time. I don't want uh, AT and T to to catch wind of of what I'm doing and cut me off. But if you need it in a pinch, it's, it works really good. Absolutely, there's no question about it, and especially with just loading up a few web pages which in all actuality as long as you're kind of doing some light browsing it's it's really no different than browsing on safari on your on your own little system there exactly and just for just for giggles and stuff i I loaded up hulu (laughs) and and streamed just like a minute of video and it went perfect yeah so yeah the the at&t's 3g network when you can get it and i and i get it everywhere i go because cincinnati is pretty good as far as coverage goes yep um you know, it's it's been awesome for me. So I, I moving to the three G iPhone has been the greatest thing. I, I've been you know I was resistant mainly because I wasn't really allowed, but uh, you know it's awesome now. Okay, so. so I have a question for you. In light of this conversation, yes. n- and knowing how well the the three G uh, browsing capabilities the the speeds are in in a, mm-hmm. in a good connection scenario, mm-hmm. obviously you have this jailbroken phone. Let's just say you knew how good the connection speeds were. Right. And, and and how good it works in a pinch. Uh, if you were not jailbroken and AT and T did release their tethering application and said it's only ten bucks a month, would you pay for it? Uh, I would seriously consider it. Yeah, I okay. mean, yeah, if I could do it legitimately, and if it was as low as 
ten bucks, you know, uh, if it was if it was anything lower than ten bucks, it'd be a no brainer, right? Uh, ten bucks is like nine ninety nine is the threshold for me. If it's you know if they come out and say thirty dollars a month, it's I'm staying jailbroken. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if, if whether are jailbroken or not, if it's if it's anything more than the ten bucks, I'd have to say eh, probably not. Ten bucks or less definitely is a price point. I think people would be willing to pay for the occasional usefulness of of a tethered iPhone. Mm-hmm. Now. You know, most of the time, 99% of the time, I don't have my laptop with me. It just happened to be that I have my laptop. Now, you know, on the flip side, if I had like a netbook, something that was tiny and small and I could carry with me, uh-huh. I, could, I could see myself using tethering a lot more. Right, right. So, Well, um, and for, for the folks out there, um, obviously, if you the context of the conversation, I think you probably understand. But I, I do recognize in the past uh, when we mentioned the word tethering and stuff like that, uh, some people were kind of thrown for a loop as to what that is. And basically, it just means uh, using the Internet access that your iPhone has and actually wirelessly or maybe possibly in the future with wires. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But being able to connect your iPhone to your computer uh, so that you can use your computer to browse the Internet through the Internet connection on your iPhone. Through the internet connection that you're already paying for. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we got some news, Cliff. We got all sorts of crazy news. Right. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. Let me start off with my story, and then we'll go into yours. Absolutely. I had never, I had no clue this was going on, but man, this goes way back. Class action uh, settlement could net uh, scratchy first-gen iPhone or iPod Nano owners up to 25 bucks. Now, uh, what we're talking about here are the original the very original iPod Nanos, those ones with mm-hmm. uh, the glass kind of front or plastic kind of front, uh, right. they came in, I think, white and black is all they came in. And uh, there was some major issues with that first gen with just lots and lots of scratching. And this is, I'm just going to read straight from Gizmodo here. It says, if you have a first gen Nano and don't mind filling out some paperwork or some forms and waiting, well, potentially a very long time, you could <laughs> jump on the class action bandwagon alleging first gens were Ill, uh, illegally scratchy. Anyway, uh, I guess that's their commentary on it. I'm kind of baffled how a judge who... Uh, Let's see. I'm kind of baffled how a judge <laughs> who probably doesn't know a first generation nano from his 40 gig uh, gavel or 40 G gavel uh, can be in charge of making this decision and thus costing Apple twenty two point five million dollars in class action payouts. If you're eligible, basically you uh, you get fifteen dollars if your nano came with a slip cover and you get $25 if you're if you were one of the early folks who got a nano and it did not come with a slip cover. Mm. So, and you can find all the informations out there somewhere. Personally, I I hate these kind of things. You, you know, I, the only people that really benefit are the lawyers. That's the only people. I mean, what's $25 yeah. or $15 going to do for me as a consumer? Yeah, nothing. I mean, it's I guess it's it's, you know, the you get 20 bucks if you fill out the paperwork. Apple had something real similar for when the first iPods came out because the battery life they claimed, you know, since it was not a user replaceable battery and people had issues with their batteries. And, and originally, Apple wasn't acknowledging it and saying, you know, there's a 90 day warranty. This is how it was, you know, back in 2003, 2003, yeah. 2002. I'm sorry, 2001. Um, you know, 90 day warranty, you're out of luck. Sorry about your luck, you know. You got to deal with it, and they lost the class action lawsuit. And then they changed it to a year, and they offered Apple Care and all that stuff. So, if anything, the class action lawsuit does make Apple kind of stand up and take notice. You know, now that the 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 iPod Nanos are made out of aluminum, it's kind of not a big deal anymore. And I think they, I've got a, a I've got a Nano around here somewhere, and um, it's got op, it's got optical glass. Oh yeah, here it is. It's got optical glass on the front of it now, so it, it doesn't scratch nearly like it used to because it's real glass now instead of plastic. But yeah, it used to be a real big problem with the first nanos. Yeah, I, I guess my concern is that you know I I bought a fifth gen. Um, it was I think it was a fifth gen iPod video, mm-hmm. uh, which was which looked very similar, had the same kind of. It was actually made the same same right. way. And my daughter, we gave it to my daughter when I got my iPhone. And sure, it's all scratched and beat up and stuff like that. And it had scratches on it, you know, along the way. 
I never thought once that that would be Apple's fault. I mean, I bought a product that just by the mere looks of it, if not given the most pristine and careful attention and how one would would carry it. Um, and it, of course, that my fifth gen came with a slipcover. Uh, yeah. and, and I recognize that if I don't put this inside its slipcover all the time, it's going to scratch. I mean, I just knew that as I was purchasing it. Right. You know I remember what? when I got my first iPod, it was $399, yep. five gigs. This was in 2002, like January of 2002. And, you know, I open it out of the package, and this is before you could even buy a case for it. Keep in mind. I open it, and I, I'm looking at the mirror finish, and I, I realize how beautiful this is. By the by, the 24-hour period, the back was already scratched up. Yeah. Just from having it in my pocket and stuff like that. Back when – I don't they, – they don't do the brushed metal in the back only on the touch, right? Is the Classic have that still? I I don't – I think it actually has brushed now. The that new, mirror the finish new. is, is – you know, you're, 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 it's going to be scratched. Yeah, but this, this is a portable media device. This isn't exactly, this is not an accessory to, to, to fl- sit there and flaunt around and, and use as a mirror. I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. I, I, I personally feel like, you know, hey, sure, these products are beautiful, but they're meant to be used. And, yeah. and stuff now, with like that, that being said, my, my iPhone, my new iPhone, uh, you know, has the plastic case. And so far, I've had it for a few weeks now, and I don't have any scratches on it, but I keep it you know, in my little pouch when I'm not using it. So Now, my iPhone, I have the iPhone 3G here, and mm-hmm. you, you saw me this weekend, uh, or this yeah. past week. I carry my, my iPhone completely unprotected. I, I don't put anything over the top of it on the front. Uh, the back of it is, is completely open to everything. Uh, it's been dropped maybe two times. Uh, never on a concrete surface surface or anything like that, but it has been dropped, and uh, you know it it doesn't currently have any scratches on it. But I recognize one thing right now that if I drop this thing on concrete on the sidewalk as I'm walking down the street, and it mm-hmm. gets a big old scratch right across the front of the screen, mm-hmm. that that's my deal. That's my problem. It's my issue. It's not. Yeah, Apple's. you had an opportunity to buy a case and. You know, yeah, yeah. And, and and if I didn't have the opportunity to buy a case, and if it didn't come with a slipcover, the fact is, I know I have a device that has scratchable surfaces. This this is this is I bought this with no warranty that from Apple that this thing's not going to get scratched. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it doesn't say if you drop it, you know, it, it's on us. You know, it, right? Nothing exactly. like that at all. It, it 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 is just a device, and I just don't understand these class action lawsuits. And 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 by golly, if it does get scratched, twenty five dollars is not going to take away the the hurt of a scratch. Twenty five dollars might take you know what what's twenty five dollars going to do for anybody that that has been affected by a scratch on their iPod? But how many now? How much money would I would be interested to know in this story is the the law firm that handled the class action lawsuit i'd love to know from this story how much money they got oh yeah millions i'm sure you know because and of course i i don't think apple will pay out i mean uh did i have a first gen uh nano absolutely do i know you know 30 40 other people absolutely do i think we're all gonna sit there and fill out the paperwork and wait for a check for either 15 or 25 dollars no way i'm not are you yep and that's Would what they're you? hoping too. They're hoping that you wouldn't fill out that paperwork. No, I wouldn't. Yeah, I mean it's just crazy. I well, mainly it's because I'm lazy. Well, the, I mean I'm, <laughs> I'm not even. It's not even that I'm lazy. I just don't feel. I don't feel like it's owed to me. I, I don't. Right. I don't feel like Apple owes me anything. Exactly. I, I understand. I, I don't. I, I. I believe that we all. I, I think we need more responsible consumers these days. I, rather than it's kind of. I don't know. I don't want to get into the. Yeah, the, I mean, if, the, it, if the it was hot one thing, coffee like, in your pocket, in, yeah, in your yeah. lap kind of deal. I mean, if if it was one thing, like the screens burnt out on all of them after sixty days, or the yeah. battery didn't last longer than nine months, that's one thing. Yeah, but something that is a direct result of my carelessness or mm-hmm. lack of, you know, of, of responsibility for my own product. I don't think it's anybody's fault but mine. That that's exactly what I'm saying. Now, if my ba- if my if my iPhone 3G and I wait, you know, in in two or three days from now, my battery quits charging, uh, and 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 I see that it's happening with you know a couple hundred other people. Absolutely, I, I expect Apple to take care of that. 
Oh yeah. But the thing is, I don't need an I don't need a class action lawsuit because I know for the first year, for the first twelve months, this thing's covered. Yeah, and if you want to cover it for more, you pay a little bit extra and you get it covered for another year, which to me is is just fine. Exactly. So anyway, yeah. let, let's move on to some real news. What else you got for us? This is a big one now. Uh, there's a company called Intego has released a security alert. Now, this comes from uh, our good friends at the unauthorized Apple weblog, TUAW.com, which is a great site. Go there for your, for your, Apple, for your daily dose of Apple news. But um, apparently, uh, they've released a, a security alert on a Trojan horse circulating in copies of iWork09 downloaded from BitTorrent sites and direct downloads which means they're not official, but wares, you know, people stealing it. The Trojan, known as os10.trojan.iservices.a, is actually pretty clever. What it does is it, it, it exists as a package within the actual iWork09 installer. And what that means is you can't see it unless you view every package in the installer bundle. So when you go to install, you don't even know that it's being put on your computer. And when the installation begins, it asks for your administrator password, which is what a normal version of iWork09 would do when you try to install it. Yep. The Trojan package will install itself as a startup item in the system library folder where it has root permissions. Now, once this is on your screen, it'll connect to a remote server online, and it'll make your computer a target for other malicious downloads and remote operations. Okay. Now, the thing is... They've already, whoever, whoever created this has already put it in a pirated copy of uh, Adobe Photoshop CS4 that's already on all these like BitTorrent trackers and stuff. So I guess what I'm telling people is if, if you're one of those people who don't believe in paying in software, and I, I believe in paying, you know, especially on something like iWork and, and you know, iLife, it's, it's so cheap, you know, and it's so good, you know, buy it, please, so they can keep making more, more versions of it. And, you know, if you're stealing that stuff, you better know that it, it could be a dirty copy, and, and you're going to get bit. And you deserve to get bit. So, right, just letting people know out there that yeah, these Macs don't have a lot of viruses in the wild, if ever. But uh, this is a pretty nasty Trojan, and and you know you've been warned. Yeah. So I have a question for you. The, mm-hmm. the this this virus is it one that can spread to other. Mac OS's on the network or anything like that, or do we know no, anything about that? No, it, it doesn't do anything like that. You have to be, you have to manually install it. Okay, so so this isn't something I need to be worried about. You know, somebody sending me an email and all of a sudden it it's going to install itself, which of course it can't because it, it anything that's going to have to install itself, it's going to require the you entering in your password and right. stuff like that. And of course, people, the issue here is people are, are trying to steal the software. You know, yeah. and 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 that that's an important thing to understand. And of course, this is just comes from good computing. You know, you you got to be careful where you're downloading any software from, and this includes not just pirated, stolen software. Because in theory, it doesn't have to be a uh, pirated version of a software package from from you know the pirate bay or wherever. Mm-hmm. You you could be downloading malicious software, and they could. Technically, let's say somebody's a quote-unquote shareware um, mm-hmm. software developer. I mean, if if they if somebody was was in you know created a software package that looked like something, it's like oh my gosh, this is an answer to exactly what I need for my specific application. Wow, I am so glad this software exists. You download the trial version and and stuff like that. You install it, and then all of a sudden you say, "I really want the full version of this," or whatever. You you go in and you download that 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 disk image, and you tell it, you know, I want to install, and it says, "Hey, please enter your password." And, and the same thing could happen, right? Theoretically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So uh, I I guess uh, the the tip that I, I'm going to say is. You know, just be mindful of, of the places where you get your software. Exactly. And, and make sure that you, you know, if it's something that, that's brand new, maybe not try to get it the day it comes out. Let a couple other people install it. See what's going on in the, in, in the blogosphere and stuff on this. You know, go to reputable sites to, to look for your software. Yeah, and, and, and try not to go out there and, and download things where you don't have some kind of personal recommendation of people who have used it and stuff like that. That's why Help I Got a Mac is a great place, I think. Uh, if you've got a que- question about software, 
Uh, you can always go to our forum over at gspn.tv slash forum. You can Absolutely. ask questions. I've seen a lot of people go in there and say, hey, I'm looking for a program that does this. And and before you know it, two or three people are responding with some suggestions, with links. And, and, and not only just that, but people say, this is why I like this. This is what this one does compared to this one and 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 see i really believe that you know when you work with a community on this kind of stuff it really does help you stay away from some of that just stray uh ugly stuff that's out there yeah absolutely so never and so basically it's not just pirated stuff of course we suggest that you stay away from pirated stuff there are people out there making a living from from creating great software and and, uh, you know, sure, Apple's multi-million dollar company, well, multi-billion dollar company probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 20, sure, $28 billion in the bank. $28 billion. And, and you know, they're, they're making a ton of cash and, and stuff. And you might think, well, this me stealing, you know, one little copy, $79 worth of software or whatever, or even $49, how, how much is iWork these days? $79. $79. It's like, oh, $79 isn't going to hurt them any. You know what? It's that kind of thinking that that really does destroy um, just, the, just the way things happen and the way things work in the software development community. Yeah, it's, it's the ripple effect. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And so, it, it, you know, the thing is, is some people will, will just go and do that stuff, and it, it just it hurts everybody. So pay for your software, folks. It, Speaking of software, uh, iLife 09, which comes with the brand new iPhoto and uh, iMovie and GarageBand and all that stuff, ships tomorrow, So, uh, which is Tuesday as we record this live on Monday. So this week it comes out, and uh, go get your copy because it's going to be awesome. I know I'm going to get my copy. How much is uh, iLife? It's $79. $79. I want to just share right now, I have no... Uh, anticipation of getting iWork09 or iLife09. Either one. Okay. I, I, I mean, I'm not taking a stand against it, but I just want to let people know that I have iLife08 and iWork08, and they both do everything I could possibly think that I would want either one of them to do. And cool. And so um, my personal feeling is that you know, I've, I've I've upgraded the Leopard, which it, I, mean, I was I definitely didn't jump on that bandwagon right away, mm-hmm. and it took me months before I finally made the decision to upgrade the Leopard. And I only did that so I could use ScreenFlow, which is a great software package and has been well worth the upgrade to Leopard. But I'm one of those people that I, I don't just jump out on every one of these software updates. In fact, um, you know, it, it's just why do I pay? $79 or 80 bucks for the entire suite again uh, when really in my thought, my own personal thinking is that with any of these different um, programs within the iLife suite, I really believe those should just be quick, little, easy um, future updates in the software I've already purchased. That's my own personal feeling. That's okay. You're allowed to feel that way. Cool. <laughs> and of course, if there was a if and of course, I did listen to all the features that are new and all the new exciting stuff that they're they're doing in there and and and, and there are some neat things, but none of them really warranted eighty bucks out of my pocket now when if the day comes that they release something it's like, oh my gosh, now that I will use then yes. i would I would pay for it see things like me like Flickr integration and Facebook integration and stuff like that I feel is going to make me use it more than i than I do now but see and you're I, talking about Flickr and Facebook rec- uh, integration with iPhoto yeah you don't use iPhoto I despise <laughs> iPhoto i feel I feel quite the opposite but that's okay but uh you know i, I do think I do think it's cool for those who use iPhoto it's just the thing is i, I and, and I've shared this from day one and I, and and there's possibly some people out there that that haven't heard this yet. So one of my things about that I enjoy about fi, um, photo manipulation, I love. I, I'm a I don't, I'm a very logical thinker, and I like to have you know a folder that has my photos in it. And then when you open that photo or folder, it has dates: two thousand three, two thousand you know five, two thousand nine. 1983 and then you see to me iPhoto does all that already well the thing is is I like to be able to manually manipulate that stuff and and I hate when I make a change it keeps the original and I know you love that feature oh I Uh, think it's great yeah and and stuff like that to me it just basically doubles up 
you know the size you know you've got a four meg photo in there and then all of a sudden you you manipulate you, you remove the red eye uh mm-hmm. from that photo and then all of a sudden you have eight that one photo now takes up uh resides as eight megs on your on your hard drive instead of four megs on your hard drive yeah storage is cheap yeah <laughs> <laughs> now now here's the thing now if you were shooting in raw and iPhoto had raw support, which I don't think it does. But let's say you're shooting in raw. Any changes that you make, let's now this is kind of getting a little more advanced, but I just want to kind of throw that out there just to let people know. Let's say you're using something that's a little more advanced than iPhoto, and it's called Aperture, which is kind of like iPhoto for professionals. And it shoots, it, it, it accepts something called raw. And a lot of high-end cameras can use raw. And when you edit those those things, like, you know, increase the brightness and things like that, all it's doing, it doesn't make another copy of the photo. It just applies those changes in real time to the photo, but it preserves all the stuff in, in, in the background. And it creates just a little tiny file that says, hey, for this picture, I want to use this setting and this setting, and that's it. It's a, it's a little like text file almost. Yeah. So no. that's pretty cool. But the, 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 the issue with, with doing that on a JPEG is that any change you make is considered lossy. It's a lot like an MP3, a, a JPEG picture that most cameras take is you want to think about it it's like the mp3 for pictures you get a lot of data but it's compressed and if any change you make on it is going to degradate that a little bit yeah i i totally get how it all works the thing is is of course i i again i'm working on a you know an 80 gig or you know an 80 gig hard drive in my macbook mm-hmm. and and when we're talking i'm mean, literally when we're talking you know, trying to play around and manipulate and and store photos from you know 1983 through 2009. I've got 80 or I've got 80 gigs worth of photos. Yeah, and see, I just don't want all of that anywhere near, um, anywhere near my hard drive. I, I I'd love to be able to just store that all onto an external hard drive and and not even worry about iPhoto iPhoto touching it. Now I don't mind the thing is is actually I don't even I, I don't even use iPhoto to to even open or view these things anymore. I I I completely wish I could just get rid of iPhoto altogether. And instead I I went out and purchased Pixelmator, which I really like per, Pixelmator. Uh because I did I I I've got iPhoto on the PC side. And I didn't want to pay for another version of iPhoto on the Mac side, but Pixelmator is an awesome program. Have you ever used Pixelmator? I have. I uh, I actually uh, got a, a pre-release copy of about a year and a half ago, and uh, yeah, it's good. I actually ended up giving the license to my brother because I w- I use Photoshop, and uh, yeah, but for the price and for what it does, it's it's yeah. awesome let me just and that that would be a great story here and then we'll go on to your next thing what you have in the show notes but it's pixelmator p-i-x-e-l-m-a-t-o-r dot com and it's 59 dollars and let me tell you what i love about pixelmator and i, di- I didn't even recognize this as its main feature for me it, it's now my main feature that i love the most about pixelmator and that is now I I just got Photoshop for the PC, uh, Photoshop CS4 for the PC uh, just a couple months ago, maybe a month and a half, two months ago. And I now save these PSD files, you know, the, the layered uh, Photoshop files mm-hmm. and Pixelmator will it will open and save uh, PSD files. So it'll actually save it as a as a Photoshop document. So I can actually be creating multi-layered images in Pixelmator, save it, email it my, to myself or switch it over, you know, via the the local network and drag it over to my my PC and I can actually finish it up in or edit the the image in uh in Photoshop and go back and forth. Yeah, that's awesome. So at, to me that that's just tremendously amazing. And so uh so Pixelmator $59 if there's a software package out there, you can do just about you can do almost everything you can do with um that that you, that I would want to do. Let's put it that way, which is not much. Right. But and almost yeah, everything. Yeah, I mean it, it, if you want it's I would say if you were if you were on the fence and thinking about getting uh Photoshop Elements, uh-huh. Save yourself 40 bucks and get Pixelmaker instead. Pixel. Pixel Mater. Yeah. Pixel Mater. Like Pixel Mater. Like Two Mater. 
Tomater. Tomater. So anyway, what else do you have in the show notes here for us? Absolutely. Let me flip back over to here. And uh, Saturday was a very important day in the Apple community. 25 years ago, uh, a, a little scrappy computer maker who had a lot of success with the Apple II decided to, to buck the trend and release a computer that was GUI-based called the Macintosh. Really? Yep, 25 years ago, January 24th, 1984, I was six years old. So was this the first one that used the mouse? It was the first one that used the mouse. And I was actually fortunate enough for quite a while to have it. The the model number was M0001, and I was fortunate enough to have one of these. A friend of mine uh, by the name of Ben gave me one. It didn't work, but it was very cool. It came in this neat little carrying bag. And uh, it was very small. It had a 9-inch screen, and you could carry it. It had a handle in the back. And their motto was, never trust a computer you can't lift, which is kind of funny. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it had the monitor, and it, it used a 3.5-inch floppy disk drive, which was brand new at the time, made by Sony. Uh, no hard drive. And uh, it had a plug for the power and a plug for the mouse and a plug for a keyboard. And the instruction book was called, what you know, introducing the mouse and it talked about what the mouse is and how to use it and <laughs> it, it was really neat because it's it's stuff that we take for granted you know a mouse and a gui you know the arrows and icons none of that stuff existed really like in uh, to, to everybody in the world right like it did Macintosh came out and yeah you know you booted it up and it had a little smiley face and everything was good and everybody was happy and it was neat, man. It came with Mac Paint, which was like a kind of like the precursor to Photoshop. Uh, it came with a program called MacWrite where you could see real fonts on the screen. And keep in mind, 90% of the computing world was used to, um, you know, text, DOS type, uh, you know, operations on their, on their IBM PCs. And this was black and white still. They didn't go to color until the mid 80s. And, uh, yeah, it, it was really cool. You know, you put the disc in, you boot up, and then if you want to play a different program, you pop the disc out and switch in another disc. And, yeah, it, it was a beautiful machine. And what was cool about the original Macintosh is if you opened it up, if you were able to crack open the case, the signature from everybody who worked on the project was etched inside the case. Really? Yeah, on all of really them? Cool. On all of them. And uh, what's, what's really cool about the Macintosh is just how they built it. It was a bunch of... Sorry, it was a bunch of young people in their 20s working like 90 hours a week just, you know, for Steve. Uh, you know, the, the Macintosh started as a project by a guy named Jeff Raskin. And, you know, he wanted to, to use a computer that used keyboard shortcuts, really didn't have a GUI, no mouse. And Steve came in and took over the project because it was kind of a skunkworks project from within Apple. Steve overtook the project and had this vision of a computer that everybody could use, something that was simple and elegant and neat to use and fun to use. And uh, he saw that uh, there was this thing called a GUI that the folks at Xerox had, and he sent a team of engineers over there to check it out in Xerox, let them have, you know, the, the, the suits in Xerox in New York didn't know what the, the creative people at Xerox in Palo Alto, California had, so they just let Apple basically raid the closet and get whatever they wanted. And, uh, you know, they, they basically took this GUI idea, perfected it, and uh, we really have those people, you know, directed by Steve Jobs to thank for the GUI and, and just user interface design and things like that today. And it's really cool. And if you want to read more about this, because to me, this, this whole period of them making the Macintosh is very fascinating. It's just very cool. I mean, it's just brilliant, brilliant people that worked on this thing. If you want to read more about it, there's a, a website called folklore.org okay. that you can read about it. Or you can buy the book uh, called Revolution in the Valley. And it's a really good book. It's basically a collection of all these folklore stories. And it's just a collection of stories. You know, like Steve wanted to change the name of the Macintosh to Bicycle, you know, which is completely insane. But it was just a really, really cool, um, you know, story. And all these collections of stories are on folklore.org or in this book, Revolution in the Valley. And it's, it's a fascinating read. If you have some time, you'll end up spending an hour or two there because it's just so engaging. Very cool. Well, I'm glad we are not carrying around bicycles <laughs> these days, <laughs> and instead we have our our MacBook. Yeah. Of course, I remember when they decided to quit calling them iBooks. Were, were they iBooks before or iMacs? What? They were they, iMacs. Oh, back when the the Mac kind of relaunched, it was called iMac. Yeah. yeah, and so basically, 
Uh, now we have the MacBook instead of the iMac, which yeah, I, there, was, there was the iMac and the iBook. Oh, the iBook. Yeah. That was what it was. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then, of course, they came out with MacBook. And, of course, MacBook was the second, I think it was the second round of MacBook that I actually ended up buying in on. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, the MacBook. Yep. So 25 years ago. That's pretty exciting. You know, the, the thing pretty awesome, is, isn't it? Yeah. How old are you, Chris? I am 32. So 32. So you're just a youngster. Seven, six, seven around there. Very cool. All right. So let's move on uh, to. Oh, wait. Before we go to questions, can I just tell you about some new software that I'm using on my MacBook? Sure. Um, Jolly. Let's see. It's actually with an, an S in there. Jolly's Fast VNC. So it's J O L L Y S Fast F A S T V N C Virtual Network Client. Uh, basically, I have uh, lost the use of one of my monitors. Uh, it went out on me. And, of course, I'm using, let's see, in the studio here, I have two PCs and two Macs. So I have a I have an old XP system that's probably a, a good eight years old. And um, I have a new PC system, which is only about a two, maybe two, two and a half years old. I have a Mac Mini, which we're streaming out video and audio to Ustream. And then I've got a MacBook sitting on the on the desk here um, for portability and other things. Now, when I lost my um, when I lost one, the use of one of my monitors in the studio, it became kind of a hassle for me to switch back and forth between what I'm talking to you on, which is my Skype computer. It's the very old XP system, but still works great. I mean, you're sound, you're hearing me fine, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. So it, it's it's it works beautifully for Skype. And that's all that computer's used for. But the thing is, is I had no ability uh, other than, you know, switching, you know, manually back and forth between, uh, you know, the main computer versus your computer using the the two different inputs. So what I did is I went in and I installed a program called VNC or tight VNC on the XP side of things. And I set it up so that it's serving out um, the signal uh, to my local network. And I was looking on the Mac for a VNC viewer that would allow me to um, that would allow me to control my Skype XP machine from my MacBook. And so I looked out there, and I just want to let people know that I did. I'm going to do VNC uh, for Mac. I'm going to pull it up because I want to let you know everybody else out there said you want to go with this chicken of the VNC software. Can I can I can I recommend something even different? Yeah, absolutely. We may have talked about this before. Um, are, is this for when you're in other parts of the house or when you're in your office? It's when I'm in other parts of the house or in and also in my house in, okay. in the office. Because there is a program called Synergy. Yeah, so, we've talked about Synergy. I, I have never had luck with installing Synergy on a Mac client. Okay. Okay. Not well. Let's just no. I take that back. I've had luck installing it on the Mac and being able to control the Mac from a PC, but never going the other way. Okay. Synergy is really, really awkward. Yeah, they, it looks like there's a new build for the for the Mac called Synergy OS 10 or OS X. I, I don't know if that would help or not, but um, it, it, I've seen it working perfectly and it's amazing and creepy at the same time yeah what that does is it allows you to um share keyboard and mouse right mm-hmm. but i still need a monitor well if you're like yeah that's true see, I mean, if you if yeah yeah if you don't have two displays there you're right see, so see i already already i already use synergy from the one xp to the other xp system my oh, okay. my problem is i just couldn't ever see see what was going on for example like the other night we wanted to do a live um lost show and people wanted to be able to skype in and talk and share their questions and stuff but i but stephanie was using my macbook but the thing is though is i could have used the macbook to actually see a chat request come up on skype and then i could bring them into the conference call you, you know what i'm saying 
Mm-hmm. So, so that's that's why I've been using it, and I really like it because I can now. I've actually now that I've got this installed, I've actually put it on my production machine, and I can use Adobe Audition, yeah, Adobe Audition, and I can be upstairs with my MacBook processing using the processing power of my big, huge XP machine down here to process files from the couch upstairs. Awesome. And, and the reason, and, and just so people know, because like the number one software out in the Mac community is this VNC, chicken of the VNC software. Yeah. But the problem that I had with that is that um, it did not show me, you actually had, you would have to manipulate the resolution of your XP mach- of my XP machine to make it look and fit all together on the Mac. Whereas Jolly's fast VNC actually does some really awesome rendering of of the of the actual resolution on the Mac end. That's awesome. So right now I'm looking at my MacBook full screen completely 100% as if it was my Mac, uh, was my XP machine. That's awesome. You know, you, there's a VNC client out for uh, the iPhone too. You know, I, I had heard that. Is that a paid for application? Uh, I think there's a couple ones. Uh, the better one, I believe, is a paid for app, just because it's a little faster. Right. And then kind of cool, though. I guess you know if you want yeah. to. And John is in the chat room. And he says, uh, "Have you tried uh, log logmine?" Log me in. Log me in. Oh, <laughs> log mine. <laughs> well, it's all one word. So, uh, so log me in. No, I haven't tried that. Is that a VNC program? And I was actually trying to get it. The now here, let me tell folks another scenario I have. So basically, this is my question. Okay, what I I have the uh, Apple TV down here, right? Yeah, and it is actually using my DSL because it has. I have DSL and cable modem access in the studio here, and DS, DSL is only used for streaming my live video and audio on UStream. Okay, so it's on a different. It, it's different IP. It's out publicly, and I actually went through and found a, a tutorial site that talked about how to set it up because uh, supposedly Leopard uh, OS or OS ten it has. Um, it has VNC automatically included. So I went through and I, I found all the setups and stuff like that, and I set that up. I actually went into, I, I use a Linksys router on that, and I did the port forwarding to the right port and everything like that, and I tried accessing it, and, and I could never get into my, my Mac Mini from outside the network. I'm, sure, I'm certain that if I wanted to do it, you know, put it on the same network with everything else, it would be no problem, but... Yeah, um, when you start talking about putting things out on a DMC and all that kind of stuff, it, or DMC, the demilitarized zone, it, yeah, it uh, yeah, makes and, me nervous too. Yeah, and of course I know it's not secure then and, and all that other stuff, but still I wanted to try it and wasn't able to figure it out. And of course I didn't need it bad enough to actually continue to try. So Obviously. Obviously. All right, let's see. You, got, you found some questions in the forum, so tell us what you got. I did. This one comes from Chris K., and uh, he says, I'm totally loving my iPhone, but I'd appreciate some advice. I have a pretty nice little case around the phone to at least provide some degree of protection. But as of right now, I do not have any sort of screen protector on it. There was one that came with the case, but clumsy me, I dropped it on the carpet and I had all kinds of carpet fibers stuck into the film, making it worthless. Then I bought some from, AT&T, from the AT&T store, but as careful as I was in applying them, I had a whole slew of air bubbles trapped underneath the film. After several unsuccessful attempts, I gave up, and as of now, my screen's going unprotected. I've heard that the iPhone screens are pretty tough, but I thought I'd ask other iPhone users out there if they use screen protectors, and if so, what kind? Thanks in advance. All right. Chris, what about you? Well, just let's give them some background on the screen itself. The screen on the iPhone is optical-grade glass, which is really, really resistant to scratches. Um, Now, with that being said... If you have your keys in your, in your pocket with your iPhone, it's not going to scratch the screen. If you have a pocket full of like gritty sand, it'll scratch the screen. Okay. So, so it depends on what it is. If your pockets have some grit to it, it's going to scratch. If not, it's, it's going to be fine. Uh, with that being said, I do have a screen protector on mine because I've had a couple hairline scratches on my old iPhone, and I didn't really want to get any of that, any, any of them on my new iPhone. So what I did is I bought... Um, some screen protectors from the Apple store. They're called Crystal Screen Protectors. 
And uh, to me, they're super easy to put on. Uh, they're easy to take off. You just use a piece of tape and it comes right off with no residue or anything. And they sell two different versions. They have a crystal film set clear which looks you can't tell that it's on there other than like a seam or two if you if you look like in the light around the buttons and ear ear part um they also have a uh a, a reducing glare like a like a, a glare matte, reduction a matte finish exactly a matte finish and i've used both and i like the matte finish i think it feels kind of nice you know, when you run your finger across, uh, the only issue is, is it does diffuse the image just a little bit, so it makes it a little softer. But I, I crank the brightness up so high on my uh, on my screen, I can't really tell tell the difference. So, the crystal film set, I like it. It comes with two two screens, so if you do screw one up, you can you can try again. It's about fifteen bucks, and uh, so far I've had it since I got the uh, iPhone 3G. It's been great, and uh, the, you don't get fingerprints on your screen or anything. It's awesome. Yeah, and uh, Chef Mark was here uh, from out of town, and he also uses that matte anti-glare uh, protect, protector on his screen. And, it, and I did, he, he, he happens to like the actual added texture of the feel of it and stuff. And I saw that it. it definitely has uh, an anti-glaring effect on it. Uh, but again, I, I go compl- I'm completely unprotected on mine. I've had my iPhone uh, almost since the, it's come out. Uh, and basically what I have is I have my, my right hand pocket on my pants or clothes or whatever, whatever I happen to be wearing, my right pocket is where I keep my wallet and my iPhone. Those are the two things. I never put my wallet in my my back pocket. Um, and I always have it in my right hand front pocket and then be, and in between my, my wallet and my leg is always my iPhone. So and of course in my left pocket, um, I always have my wound up um, earbuds and my keys. The, 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 my keys are always in the left pocket. So for me, the, you know, my my case for protection is my pocket. Yeah. Now, now uh, people are saying with uh, the uh, you know you gotta watch out for dust and stuff like that. The crystal film set does come with this special sticker that you apply over the iPhone first and peel off and what that does is it takes any dust or anything you know you make sure you wipe off the screen super good with like a lint-free cloth and then use the sticker and then as soon as you're as soon as you rip that sticker off start to put the uh, the, the film on and i don't have a bubble or dust or anything on my mine is perfect and uh yeah i thought it was really easy to do so very cool well let's move on to uh ann who goes by sea sunset in our forum she says, my two, let's see, my new second generation 32 gigabyte iPod Touch came with a USB cable that looks different from my, from my 30 gig video iPod Classic. Can I use the old USB cable to charge and sync my new touch? Absolutely. Yes. And <laughs> I think the new ones just come and the actual adapter that connects to the bottom is like much smaller. Yeah, they got rid of the little, they used to have little clips on the side and you push in to remove it they got rid of those clips i think it was just to reduce cost you know less plastic less you know all that stuff in there and it's you know just less for them to manufacture but yeah it, it'll work just fine the one that won't work is the u is the uh, firewire cable exactly yep so you're you're absolutely fine to do that and uh you know i saw a you know how when you plug in an iphone or and i'm not sure if it does it with the touch but if you plug in an iphone into an old uh, you know, device, whatchamacallit, that, that used to not, or when you plug it in, it says, I'm sorry, this, this device cannot be used to charge your iPhone. Have you seen yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. A couple of the older, um, like cigarette lighter adapters yes. and stuff do that. Yeah. I ended up having to buy a new adapter. I found, I found that somebody had, um, I, I forget where I saw it, but I saw online somewhere and I think it might've been think geek. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, thinkgeek.com or dialorg, whatever it is. But anyway, it's a it's a little tiny adapter that actually converts that you plug it into this adapter and then you plug it into your whatever and then and then it'll turn any iPhone charging device into an iPhone iPod, any iPod charging device into an iPhone charging device. That's cool. Which is really cool because my friend DG has one that's actually his it's his actual stereo that is the charging device and and it, it wouldn't do it and so this would so he would be able to put this adapter on there and it would work. 
That's awesome. I uh, I ended up getting one from um, In Case, who I think they make great cases and stuff for the iPhone. And it was like the iPhone starter kit. I got it at Best Buy. I think it was like thirty bucks or something. Came with a the black uh, pouch case, which is what I used. I love it. Uh, it's called the Folio, I think. And it comes with this really sweet adapter that's it doubles as a wall adapter and a car charger. Right. And uh, that's a good one to get. Cool. Well, we have one more question before we wrap up here. Uh, Chris K. wrote in the forum. He says, I downloaded Tweety, best iPhone application for Twitter in the world. It is. <laughs> and uh, he says, I'm liking it. He says, but before I go crazy with it, does adding tweets via Tweety, add, uh, does that count as text messages? I only get 200 a month, and I only want to use them for emergencies if I can. The answer is no. The only time you get charged for text messages is, one, if you go into the SMS application and send one out, or if you sign up with a service that'll send you text messages. That's correct. But using a program like Tweety does not count. And so I would certainly suggest that you use your Tweety, and you can tweet all day long. Tweety's a great app, isn't it? It is. I'm so glad I finally talked you and so many other people into (laughs) buying it. It's awesome. They should give you a, a cut. They should. I really believe so. Uh, I absolutely love it. They did take away one feature um, that I loved, though. Uh, It used to be that anytime you had a public tweet, you could hit reply, and it would ask, do you want to send this as a direct message, or do you want to do an at reply? Mm. And uh, in the latest release, it just automatically does an at reply. But uh, I found out it's about the same number of steps to actually just click on the person's name, which automatically loads their profile, and then you just scroll down half half a halfway and hit send direct message and so then it, it works out the same yeah and i i think it's gonna get you know they'll they'll just tweak it and stuff like that yeah it'll be it'll be good so anyway folks you can uh, of course call in your questions at area code 859-795-4067 uh if you want to be have your voice played here in our show uh, another great way to get questions answered, though, is to go to the forum. And, Chris, where is the forum at? It is. You always ask me this. It's at gspn.tv slash forum. That's right. And if you go there, you'll see a little section that says, help, I got a Mac. And a really great thing about that is if you ask your questions there, there are some other great uh, Mac community fans, whatever you want to call them. Uh, they, they, they love the Mac, and they love to help people figure out how to use the Mac. And chances are you'll get an answer before we bring it up here in the show. But if you don't, either way, Chris and I are usually looking at the forum just before we start a show to see what kind of questions and answers we can share here. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, Chris, we'll uh, do this again next week, I assume. Monday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, gspn.tv slash live, right? Right. All right. Well, until then, we'll talk to you all later, and we encourage you to join the community. Yes. Yes. 